0: Get comfortable with ambiguity and with not having all the information. Develop the skills and confidence to lead in a different way.
1: Welcome to the show. I'm Wanda Wallace, and we're talking about how to get out of the comfort zone. Now, one of the things about getting out of the comfort zone is actually engaging with the press. So I'd like you to imagine for this segment of the show that you have a message you want the world to hear. It might be a new business that you're launching. It might be a new product in your current business. And it might just be an opinion you want people to know about. So you turn to the press to generate some publicity. And imagine that you've already lined up a press interview that some agent out there is ready to talk to you. We want to spend the first half of the show talking about what do you need to know about doing that interview so that you're prepared. And then we're going to talk in the second half about how do you build your relevancy so the press comes to you. So both of the two halves of how you manage to get out your message into the press and into the world. Now, a heads up, I think you're going to find that if you prepare for a press interview, then you're really well prepared for any stakeholder conversation. But in particular for the show, we want to focus on the press angle, something we don't talk about very much. And I have to also say, as I watch companies go through one challenging issue after another, the more people who are prepared to talk to the press, the better off we're going to be. So my guest today is Beth Kitchener. Beth is a communications professional who's had a career in the entire gambit of experiences from Uh, helping to transition a Fortune 500 company to international brand building to weathering a U.S. Senate investigation. She's worked in public and private companies in the U.S., Europe, and in Japan. She's got both an agency and a corporate communications experience. Clients are companies like IBM, MasterCard, Philips Electronics, and Beth's superpowers. I love that. Our Corporate Communications, Executive Media Training, Branding, and Crisis Communications. So, Beth, welcome to the show.
2: Good morning, Wanda. It's wonderful to be here. I'm
1: delighted to have you. Thank you very much. And this is, i think this is an important topic. Um, I, we don't talk about it enough until you get to the very C-suite of an organization. And my personal belief is, lots more people need to have a clue about how to talk to the press for a host of reasons. So you talk about the six things that are worth knowing. So what do we need to know to get prepared for a press interview?
2: Um, I think you—you know—as you said in the—in the outset of the of our conversation. This is, um, we're starting with the assumption that you already have an interview lined up. Um, So I think the The best place for you to start is you're probably working for a company and you probably have a communications department within that company and they've come to you and they've asked you to do an interview. Um, So the most important thing to start with is knowing who your audience is. Um, Your conversation is going to be with a reporter, but that reporter writes for or is is doing the interview on behalf of a news outlet. And knowing who that news outlet appeals to or who their primary audience is can really help you tailor your messages. So an example might be if you're talking to national press, which could be um, the Wall Street Journal or uh, or Telemund or um, any other organization like that, even television, there's national news programs like morning programs on, on the BBC, um, Good Morning America. So know who your audience is and, and know who you're talking to. Um, you could also be speaking to a regional or a local news outlet, which means that you want to tailor your comments a little bit more to to what 's happening in your community or in your immediate um, area where where you live and work um, there 's also industry and trade publications, and those publications are maybe very specific to the field that you work in so it 's people who are primarily interested in manufacturing or finance or law and there 's publications or um, associations that are specific to those. So you can tailor your messages to to that audience. Or sometimes it's a consumer um, outlet. So think about if you follow somebody online, do they talk to millennials? Do they talk to, um, you know, are you following a particular sports team and this is specific to your sports team? Or, um, uh, you know, is it... um, just something of personal interest or your mom. And so you follow the mommy bloggers. So knowing who your audience is, is going to help you tailor your messages to make sure your messages are relevant to that particular audience. Okay. So I, I just want to come back on this one for just a
1: minute. Cause everybody I've ever talked to about communication starts with, you need to know your audience, but in some ways, Beth, shouldn't my message be my message, be my message. I mean, how much tailoring do I want to do? That sounds like spin doctor or something.
2: Oh no! You you don't want to go into the into the realm of the spin. You have a story to tell, and what you want to do is make that story as relevant to as many audiences as possible. Or, um, you know, maybe there's just some audiences they're just not going to be interested in this. So, sort of thinking about. You know, you have a story that you want to tell, so you would write out what are your messages, or you'd write out your narrative, you'd write out your proof points saying, okay, um, I'm going to make this statement, and here are three or four facts or pieces of research that are going to back up what I want to say, and then um, you're going to do things like write out an FAQ or um, a Q&A document, which are like, what are the questions I could reasonably expect to be asked, and... um, You know, and and you do yourself a disservice if you prepare for the best possible scenario where you don't get, uh, you know, questions that could be controversial, but you probably want to think about, okay, what's the good, what's the bad, what's the ugly, what questions could I get asked, and then how many audiences is this relevant to you, because that's as far and as wide as your your story is going to go. Okay. All right. So I want to, let's just do one more
1: example on this one, this notion of tailoring the audience. Mm-hmm. Can you give me an example of what that looks like? Let's say, for example, that I have a core message. Oh, I'll pick my radio show, for example, about what it takes to get out of the comfort zone. And if I'm doing that to a global audience versus if I'm doing it to a more local audience, how would they vary?
2: Um, if you're speaking to a global audience, you're going to speak at a much higher level and give examples um, for things about uh your message is going to be very wide because you're not going to be able to tailor it to um to something Specific. So there are global organizations that you can say, hey, if you're a lawyer, you may want to look into these types of organizations that have global reach and global appeal. If you're talking to somebody on a regional level, you might say, hey, look, within the United States we have um, the uh, American Banking Association. We have um, the American Bar Association. So you could help them tailor what they're talking about based on – you become more specific um, on, in your messaging with every layer that you go down. So if you're speaking to somebody who, in a professional aspect, you maybe could use some jargon um, that would be very familiar to them. But if you're talking to a national or global audience, you want to keep away from that sort of language, which might be limiting to the average consumer who just may have, a, have an interest or a little bit of spontaneity and come across your podcast and, and wants to get interested in it. But then you're hearing things that are confusing or that are going to take some Googling later and, and you might, use, um, excuse me, might lose them.
1: Okay. All right. So first thing I'm going to do is start with the audience. Who is it that the person I'm being interviewed by in the press, where are their listeners, readers, followers? What do we know about them? And
0: Mm -hmm. then I want
1: to tailor my message so I'm meeting their particular needs, whether that's from a language point of view, an example point of view, or just basically their concerns and issues, those particular set of followers. How is my message relevant to them? Okay, and you said in this one, Beth, that we need to write it out.
2: Really? Um, I think it helps you gather your thoughts. Um, Then you want to rehearse so you're confident speaking about it. But sometimes it helps you gather your thoughts if you just sort of make notes or draw a chart or, you know, follow a flow so you can see how one thought would lead to another. I write, some people, you know, like I said, would design a flowchart, or some people might have another means, index cards where they go through different things. Um, whatever's going to be most comfortable for you if you have a visual memory or, you know, I, if you like to write things out, write things out, but it, that's sort of your own preference.
1: Okay. But either way, I'm putting a lot of thought into what it is I want to say, the sequence with which I want to say it. The proof points or the evidence that I'm going to give, and then some prep for the questions that I might get.
2: And the questions can be the most important part because you're dealing with reporters who, by nature, are inquisitive and they want to ask you questions and they want to take these, um, you know, follow these thoughts that are of interest to them. So your messages are so important, your proof points are important, but thinking through every question that you may get can also be a huge benefit to you.
1: Okay. I know what proof points are because I've done media training. Explain it, though, to everybody who's listening. What do you mean by a proof point?
2: Oh, a proof point is something if you're making a statement about um, what's going on, for example, in a, in a local school. Maybe um, the Board of Education has done some research saying, like, um, more computers are needed in classrooms, and here's the reason why. Or more diversity is important in classrooms, and here are the reasons why. So if you're telling a story and you have a third party who can um, validate what you're saying, your argument becomes that much stronger or your 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 um, opinion becomes that much stronger because you have people on the outside who are agreeing with you. So finding um, something from the Pew ter- parado- Charitable Trust or finding something from um, you know, an outside organization with similar interests, that can help strengthen your argument because you're not the only one who believes it. Other people are following this train of thought. They've done some research. They put some analysis into it, and they've come to similar conclusions. Okay, all right,
1: so let me just get this part, and then we're gonna go on to the next piece you need to know. So, this is all in the know your audience. So, I've got the interview prepared. I wanna know who is listening. I wanna know what kind of scale, what kind of special interests they have, what kind of jargon I can use with that group. And I also wanna prepare my message very cleverly so that I have written out what's the core message. What's the proof points or the kind of evidence from third parties that supports my general statement? I've thought about the questions, and I've thought about the good, bad, and the ugly of what might get asked. All right. So then you say the second most important thing to do is to practice before you preach. And why do you say that?
2: Oh, it's it's absolutely important. Um, I work with a lot of executives who just say, oh, but I'm so much better when I just talk off the top of my head. And, you know, it would be wonderful if we were all that um, eloquent, but think through the situation you're going to find yourself in. Um, Maybe you're going to be in front of a room of 600 people, or maybe you're going to be at, um, on a smaller scale, a son or a daughter's wedding, and you might get caught up in the emotion of the moment. So if you've rehearsed what you like to say, what you want to say, if you've gone through it a few times, if you've, um, you know, for example, if you're preparing for a telephone interview and you pick up the phone and you call a friend and you say, hey, can you ask me these questions? Um, if you can get one of your children to pick up, you know, their, their phone and just videotape you having a conversation, the more you can rehearse, the more comfortable you're going to be with what you'd like to say and how you're able to deliver that message. Okay. I know that um, I, people see
1: people say this to me all the time. They see some senior leaders stand up and hold a press conference or a town hall or a panel interview or whatever. And they seem so natural. It just seems so easy and so flowing, and it sounds like they're talking off the cuff. For every senior executive I have ever talked with, there's an incredible amount of preparation that goes in before they sit down to have that conversation. I'll give you an example. I regularly run panel discussions in classes, and I'll have three three very senior executives in front of me. And, of course, when I'm doing something like that, I have to give them a clue what kind of questions I'm going to ask them so they've had a little time to think about it. You would never see it from the audience point of view, but I see it when they enter the room. They have their piece of paper with those questions and their point all handwritten in quite detail on that, and then they tuck it away. So you never see it, but the prep is there. At least that's my experience, Beth, for the best ones.
2: I I couldn't agree with you more, Wanda. And by tucking that paper away, that point that you just made, what you're doing is I'm confident. I know the things that I want to say, but because this is a live conversation, I also want to stay in the moment. So I'm comfortable with my messages, but I'm going to have this conversation with Wanda. And if Wanda starts to go down a path, you know, um, let's stay in the moment or somebody in the audience asks me a question. I don't want to be so, you know, have my cards in front of me and, and not be able to be in the moment and have some spontaneity with what I'm saying. But that's simply because you're so well rehearsed. You understand your main points you understand your supporting points that, you know, when somebody throws you a softball or throws you a curveball, you're able to pick up on it and go with it because, um, you know, it's live and you're in the moment and you're confident and comfortable with your messages.
1: Okay, so on that level of comfort, and you said already this idea that sometimes, you know, it's a family event or a wedding and you, you're going to be emotional and giving and saying whatever your message is. That can happen with a press interview as well. I get this question from people all the time that they get so nervous standing in front of an unknown audience. And they, you know, lose their voice or they don't know what to say or they get quite shaky or it gets quite high pitched. What do you recommend doing besides practicing that helps your voice sound more natural?
2: Breathing. Just um, being able to control your breath is sometimes something that can help you get yourself under control if you're feeling a little emotional or feeling a little upset. Anyone who's um, done a yoga class and you get used to doing those deep um, breaths, drawing those deep breaths from your diaphragm, if you can gather your breath, you can gather your thoughts And that might give you a moment to get started, or if you got started and maybe your voice is a little more high-pitched than you can, just take a deep breath and make a little joke of it and say, okay, take two, here we go. Um, Anyone who's spoken in public before will immediately empathize with you because they know that you're there, you've shown up, and you just had a little emotional moment, but taking a deep breath, um, getting yourself prepared, even restarting if you have to. Anyone in that room who has ever spoken in public will immediately empathize and be on your side and be pulling for you.
1: And there's so many ways, too, to just restart, you know, to say, wait, I didn't say that the way I wanted to. Let's try again and just kind of come back on it. I think you're right. Everybody recognizes that as quite human. Okay, so... I know my, I've got my press R interview lined up. I've got my messages straightened lined up. I've got my proof points lined up. I've thought about the questions. I've done my homework in terms of who the audience is and how I'm going to tailor the message that I have for that audience so it resonates with them, it fits their needs. I've practiced. I guess I should ask how much practice? Go through it once, go through it twice?
2: Until you're comfortable. That's going to be a okay. very personal thing. Um, You know, I would always recommend the night before, maybe before you go to sleep, just read through everything again, because then it's it's sort of in your unconscious when you're sleeping. If you're flying somewhere and you, you have an opportunity to go into the room where you're going to be presenting, you know, sometimes seeing the room in advance. So you say, okay, that's where the stage is. That's my mark that I have to make. You know, anything. Until you feel like you're ready, and then, as you okay. said earlier, Wanda, then you tuck away those those um, all your notes into your pocket, and you just you just get ready to be there and be in front of that okay. audience and and give them the best that you have to give.
1: Okay, all right. I got to go on to the bridging thing, but before I do, that, I have one more question for you. You know, when I'm doing a press interview, it's very rarely in person, unless it's lucky enough to be on the Today Show or CNN or something like that. It's often on the phone, and on the phone I have no visual cues with how the other person is reacting to me. Any advice about how to do phone interviews?
2: The most important thing about a a phone interview is because you can't see the person. So sometimes it's very hard to know if they're following you or if you, if they're with you. Um, so sometimes what I recommend to people is you have to almost draw the person, the reporter, or the person on the other end of the phone out a little bit. If you can hear them typing away on their laptop or on their on their iPad a, a mile a minute, they're following you and they're with you. Um, if you if it. quiet or if it's too quiet or if you have a sense that that they're not taking notes, it's okay to ask a question back to them and just say, is this what you wanted to speak about? Am I approaching this from the angle that you wanted me to? Um, Is there more I can tell you on that particular point? But it's okay to ask questions back to make sure that the reporter is following you and is with you. Okay, so I always have the opposite reaction. I always feel like I'm
1: on the phone and they're typing away that they're distracted and not listening to me, and you have to say the opposite if they're typing that means they're following you and they're with you
2: they're listening to you and they're taking notes on everything that you're saying because they're interested in what you're saying i get okay. I get more nervous with silence than I would than I would get with somebody um, if you hear those keys going you know they're used to listening and and processing and they're actually capturing what you're saying and Nine times out of 10, when you hear the biggest flurry of, of, uh, of keys clicking, that's going to be your quote.
1: Okay. All right. I'll keep that in mind. But boy, does it require a mindset shift from me because it just doesn't feel natural. Okay. So I've done my prep. I know my audience. I've done my practice. The third thing you say is bridge. Back to your narrative. What do you mean and how?
2: Okay. Bridging is just a, it, bridging is a very simple technique, but what we're talking about is once again, reporters are inquisitive. Um, they got into this profession for a reason. They like to ask people questions, and their imagination is usually going a million miles a minute. So they can be all over the place. So sometimes when you're doing an interview with a reporter, either on the phone or in person, they sort of start going off into another area where maybe um, it's not something you were expecting to speak on that particular day, or maybe it's something you just don't know all that much about so we have a technique called bridging which helps you get from you know where the questions may be going back to where what you came to talk about so bridging could be as simple as um, uh, just you know sort of reminding the reporter the conversation that you were expecting to have and it could be something as simple as saying like well that's outside my area of expertise but what I can tell you about or Boy, that's a whole separate conversation. Um, What I did want to talk to you today about is, and you just sort of bring the conversation back to what you were expecting to have a conversation about or the the messages that you were expecting to deliver. Is that comparable with with your experience, Wanda?
1: It's absolutely, totally comparable with mine. But then doesn't the reporter turn around sometimes and say, wait a minute, I want to talk about that thing that's outside your expertise. Why is it outside? I mean, they start, you know, going down that line. So They can. But,
2: they, they can. And, and the first part of, I'm sorry, I wasn't very clear, but the first part of, of what you were saying is you're actually acknowledging the question so by acknowledging the question, by saying, hey, that's a little bit outside my area of expertise, we can set up a separate conversation with you on that. But what I did want to make sure your readers, you know, understand or what your your listeners are going to hear about is, so we, you're acknowledging that there's the question and that the question was asked of you. But what you're saying is, um, you know, that's a slightly different topic. There's somebody who has more expertise in that area. But here's what I can tell you is saying, okay, you know, I I understand what you want to talk about. I hear it. I might not be the best person to answer your question, but along the lines of what I'm familiar with, here are the things that I can tell you.
1: Okay. So that's along the lines of people who say routinely, that's a very interesting question, Mm -hmm. which you know is going to follow with, and I'm not going to answer it in some version or (laughs) another. (laughs) They
2: they say anything before the but doesn't matter. Exactly. Exactly. Strikes
1: me, it always strikes me that this technique is very handy for handling contentious questions. Does it work
2: for that in your view? Oh, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. It, sometimes there's so many reporters who are out there trying to get it right, trying to get their stories right. Um, you know, if it's just someone who disagrees with your industry or is just not a fan of, of what you do, um, you know, I I wouldn't say any of it is personal or there'd be so few examples where it was personal, but maybe just your opinion doesn't jibe with theirs or, um, you know, they've had a different experience. But yeah, it can help you get out of a sticky situation where you don't want to be trying to offer comment on something that's outside of your realm of experience. So I think it can help you um, come back or like you said, if someone is, you know, trying to make a contentious point, it's just sort of... um, keeps you on a safe, professional, conversational level with a reporter.
1: Okay, Okay. I can imagine that one.
2: All right, well, let's go
1: on to the next part. Are there tricks or are there mistakes we need to avoid in talking to a reporter?
2: Yeah, and... Um, Yes, yes. There are always um, mistakes that can be made. Reporters have different methods that they use for trying to get information from you. Um, A reporter is there because they are interested, he or she is interested in the story that they want to tell. But understand, for a reporter, the story that you are telling everyone else it's interesting, but if they can get an exclusive, if they can get a little bit of extra information that you didn't give another reporter, if they can get an extra quote that maybe you didn't give to someone else, it makes their story that much better and, and that much more unique. And so, a reporter is always going to go for that that exclusive. Um, and it's it's not mean; it's, it just gives them something that nobody else has, which as a reporter, that's what you want. You want that story that no one else has. So there's different techniques that a reporter might use to try to dry you out a little bit, and there's different names for them. So, for example, one technique that reporters might use is called phishing. So what they'll do is they'll start having a conversation with you, but then they'll go fishing. They'll ask you a bunch of seemingly random questions about a bunch of different topics with the thought that maybe they'll just... Um, sort of get you outside of uh, your messages and and get you to answer something or say something that you didn't necessarily mean to say. That's one technique. Um, There's also silence, and moms and dads are especially prone to silence. So when you're a parent, it's in your nature that you want to explain things or you're very used to explaining something. So if a reporter goes quiet, you might then, oh, they're not getting what I'm saying. Let me say it again. Um, Mm -hmm. And then you end up talking a little bit more to fill a silence. Um, Something else that a reporter may do is they might repeat the same question over and over. Once again, you're saying like, hmm, did they understand me? Did they not understand me? Just keep answering the question the way you did. They probably did understand you. Either they want clarity or they're hoping you're going to say a little bit more than you expected to say. And then just in general, when a reporter says or you say, don't don't anybody ever say off the record. There just is, there is no off the record. Um, If you do not want to read it, do not say it. And it's that simple. (laughs) Um, I love
1: that.
2: Don't want to read it, don't say it. (laughs) Don't say it. And so the good thing is with all of these different techniques or different methods that reporters may try, if you bridge back to your original message, you're going to keep your interview on track.
1: Okay, so it's that bringing it back to what I want to say, which is why it's so important to know what my message is in the beginning or the proof point that I want to illustrate or so on. So uh, talk to me for a minute about silence. I've seen this used in a thousand and different ways, from reporters all the way up to senior executives at the board level where you're presenting, and they use silence just waiting to see if you'll say something that you they weren't expecting or something unusual or something they can use. How do you deal with silence?
2: You let it be. You let it be silent for a moment. Um, it, there's, they could just be gathering their thoughts. They could be hoping you'll you'll step in and fill the silence, but if you, You know, if you do that deep breathing, if you're just comfortable with silence, you can just let a silent moment be a silent moment and then just say, hey, let's move on. Okay. And is that a moment to ask the question
1: back of the reporter as in, is this getting you what you wanted? That's brilliant. That's great.
2: Yep. Hey, you know, is this what you needed? Do you need more from me? Yes, you can ask a question because you're throwing the ball back to them. You've let the moment sit, you've had your moment, silence, and then you can throw the conversational ball back to them. Is this what you need? Do you have another question or do you want to move on? Okay. All right.
1: Makes sense to me. So if I go back to the repeat all of this one, it is a lot of homework around your audience so that you know how to make your particular message most relevant to that audience from jargon to local examples to um, applications, I guess. And then practice, 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 practice. Um, <laughs> get your message all together so that you know exactly what you want to say and that you have it written out from the message to the proof point to the questions to how you want to respond to those. And then tuck that away so that you can be in the moment. Use your bridging techniques so that you go back to the core message with a question that takes you off track or a comment that takes you off track and um, the last one is staying out of trouble by tolerating the silence, just repeating your answer, uh, being careful with the fishing when you're talking outside of the normal um, topic that you want to speak about, and everything is always on the record, even when you think the microphone is turned off.
2: Oh, even even, especially when you think the microphone is turned off.
1: All right. Okay, so we're going to take a break at this point. When we come back, I want to talk about how do you build your press relevancy. With me today is Beth Kitchener, and Beth is a communications professional um, who's done a lot of work with large and small public and private companies in the U.S., Europe, and in Japan, and who's a specialist with superpowers in corporate communication, executive media training, branding, and crisis communication. And we'll be right back.
0: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it
1: is your business running? It should be running smoothly, with nary a hiccup, like a finely tuned machine. But if you're like most businesses, yours may be running nowhere close to that. Listen for Operationally Speaking with your host, Sergio Samal. Our program will help you to run your entrepreneurial business easier, better, with less frustration. And by running it well, you're sure to be poised for faster growth. Tune in every Friday at 3pm Eastern Time and 12 Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.
0: Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market.
1: Uh, With me today is Beth Kitchener, and Beth is a communications professional with a lot of experience in corporate communications, in media training, for executives in branding and in crisis communication, and we've just been talking about what it is you need to know about speaking to a press, preparing for the press. Now I want to talk a little bit about when you've done that interview. So let's say I did finally get the interview in the Wall Street Journal or whatever other place was relevant for me. How do I make sure I'm getting the maximum benefit out of that, Beth? What do we do then?
2: Um, we use a methodology called called PESO, and there's there's a bunch of other methodologies that are out there. But I just this one is is pretty straightforward, so I would like to use it. Um, it's ac- actually an acronym, P E S O, and it's typically used by communications professionals um, to make sure that they are leveraging every communications channel available to them. Today, we're going to apply it to that golden article that you just generated or that wonderful segment that just hit on on television. So when we're talking about Peso, we're talking about paid media, earned media, shared media, or owned media. So when we talk about paid, we're talking about search engines. So is there a way to take this article that you just generated and is there a way to get it out there to a broader audience so if your company has a communications team, odds are they already have an insta account set up and a Twitter account set up. so maybe you want to put some money behind um, they would post this article through social media, but then you can pay a search engine um, so when somebody uh, you know searches on a relevant topic or a similar topic, this article gets pushed out to them so you're bringing your message to a wider audience for people that are searching on a topic that's related to to yours so that's what we call paid media Um, earned media is when you're working with a reporter and you get a great story and you say wait this audience really liked it I do have those other audiences that might also be interested in something so is there a way I can repackage what I've said and bring it to a non-competing publication so if I publish this article or if this article is published and I'm quoted in the Wall Street Journal, can I turn around to one of my industry trade publications and say, hey, this is a trend. You see this story appeared. Um, would you also be interested in writing something about it? Okay. Um, when we talk about shared media, that's when you go out to industry influencers or industry analysts or even um, your customers or your fans, and you say, hey, look, this article appeared and and I'm quoted in it, would you be comfortable pushing it out to some people who follow you? So would you be willing, as somebody who is a stakeholder in my company or in my brand, would you be willing to share this with the people um, on your email list or the people that follow you on Twitter, or would you be willing to... um, you know make a blog connection, um, connect to my blog post and give me a thumbs up or, or give me some kind of recommendation. So now you're reaching out to um, your audience's audience and getting in in front of even more people that are interested in this topic. And then the last one is owned. So you have channels that are owned by you or by your company. So can I post this article on my LinkedIn account? Um, Can I write a blog post that will go on my company blog that will link to this article to help people get to it? So it's just making sure that you use every channel available to you to leverage or to amplify um, the article in which you've been featured or quoted. Okay,
1: sounds to me like that's relevant regardless what kind of communication it is that you're trying to get out to the world at large the paid, the earned, the shared, and the owned, and just thinking through that systematically to take advantage of every single one of them.
2: Yeah, you put all that effort in the upfront getting ready, and and now you've got your results, and make sure that you are merchandising those results with with every audience that may be interested in it.
1: Okay. All right. Fair enough. Now, let's say I just did that great interview. It worked out really, really well. How do I make sure that that reporter calls me again and again and again and again?
2: You, yep, you absolutely want to stay relevant with reporters. So um, the, the first step in doing that is to stay current and to know what's going on in the news. Um, if you're a news junkie like me, you probably spend a lot of time doing this. Other people have, uh, you know, you have very busy lives and you only have so much time to put into this. So what I'd recommend is is that you um, you follow news and you follow news from multiple sources. So in the morning, if you're always watching um, the BBC BBC 1, maybe maybe switch it up and watch BBC 4 or BBC 2 or, you know, watch an alternate channel to find out how different news stations are covering news because there may be a way for you to work that message in there. Um, if you're listening uh, to a podcast or you always listen to the same podcast series, maybe you mix it up a little bit while you're on the train and you listen to something else, Um if you always read uh, one publication, maybe you you know go online and search for another one or even a competitor just to find out what's out there. Um, maybe you, you could follow influencers or bloggers. like I said, if you're trying to reach millennials or you're trying to reach um, sports fanatics, you know there's there's millions of different sites out there that are available to you. But taking the time you have and getting news from multiple sources helps you see how different news sources um, would follow a story or cover a story, which gives you more opportunity to sort of approach them or work with your communications team to approach them and see if you can get your story placed in in other outlets.
1: Okay. And there are so many news sourcing um, that give you the headline news from a bunch of different places, at least I know that's what I do to kind of get some sense of what's being said in multiple parts around the world. Okay, so I need to stay current, and that means, and also I would guess that means if something's happened in the news that is current to my particular message, then I want to be prepared for that reporter to call me and say, hey, Wanda, can you make a comment on this story? Or even me to call and say, hey, I have something to say about this. Is that right?
2: Absolutely. So um, you're 100% right, Wanda. Just if you see a reporter covering something, you could say, hey, don't forget, You know, I know you're on deadline today, but we talked about this three months ago, and and I have some new insights that I can share with you. You know, when you get, get a minute, please give me a call.
1: Okay. All right, and does that mean I need to be available for that reporter to call me at any given moment in time? I mean, how patient are they if they can't get me?
2: Um, they're, they're not patient at all. They're, they're following news and there's a news cycle and a news cycle will only last X number of hours or days or, or weeks, depending on what it is. So the sooner you can get to them, the better off you are and the more available you can make yourself to them, the better off you are because, you know, they're writing about it now and tomorrow there'll be a whole new set of news and they're going to be off and running on that. So if you can make yourself available, if you have some flexibility, a reporter is always going to appreciate that. Okay. All right. So what
1: else do I do to build my relevancy with the press?
2: Um, I'd also say just take a look at your area of expertise. It's always possible to expand the topics that you're talking about. And what I mean by that is if you are, for example, an expert on Internet security, maybe you were speaking with somebody about um, a data breach that happened and that was news, you're also relevant to talk about things like... um, Identity, um, identity theft and securing yourself against identity theft, or online shopping. Now that the holidays are coming, you're going to be shopping online more often than you previously were. How can you help keep your personal information safe? Um, you can also take a look at, okay, there's um, all new ways to pay with things like digital wallets coming out, Apple Pay, Samsung Pay. You know, what advice can I have for people who maybe want to use that as, a, as another method for um, shopping online, but keeping themselves secure. So all of those things are relevant to your area of expertise. Um, If a reporter calls you and they're like, how do you feel about national cybersecurity? Mm. That might be too much of a reach. That might be a bit too far beyond what you can talk about credibly, and you're going to dilute your brand if you start doing, you know, too many things to too many people. So I'd think through every possible angle or how you can expand your story and keep it relevant as as news cycles come and go, but don't stretch yourself so far that. You're now sort of questioning your credibility, or you don't have an interesting comment that you can offer to a reporter because this topic is just kind of a stretch for you. So, okay. build in your area of expertise, but um, make sure you're staying on things that are relevant to you and relevant to your brand and relevant to your company.
1: Okay. Now, is that suppose the, they call and say, "Geez, I'd like to talk to you about cyber security around the world." And my specialty is Internet security or identity theft. Is that a case Mm -hmm. where I would bridge and say, I can't talk to you about all of cybersecurity, but I can certainly give you comments about the Internet component of that? Is that appropriate?
2: It's totally appropriate. And either it's going to work with the reporter's story, and he or she is going to be very appreciative that you're trying to help, or they're going to be like, nope, I'm focused on national security And, hey, if you happen to know somebody who's an expert in that area, pass it along because that person will will pay it forward or pay it back to you. Um, But if it's just outside your area of expertise, um, you know, be polite. Thank you very much. Can't help you on this one. But call this person that person and keep me in mind for future stories.
1: Okay. All right. Fair enough. And make it quick and simple and straightforward so they can move on. All Mm -hmm. right. So, that's you know st- i need to stay current i know what's going on i'm ready i'm prepared and i'm thinking about how my area of expertise is relevant to the hot topics that are being discussed in the moment of time and making sure i know what my area of expertise is and where i'm willing to stretch and where i'm not willing to stretch what about what else do i need to be thinking about
2: well i was thinking also about social engagement so um And this may go back to the conversation we had earlier about your owned um, channels, but make sure that, you know, you have a LinkedIn page or you have a blog or you have a YouTube channel because when reporters are looking for references or looking for um, experts, those are the areas where they might search. And so if your name comes up and they can quickly, you know, look through your LinkedIn page or or watch a couple quick videos that you did on YouTube, they can say, oh, wait, this person knows what they're talking about. I don't necessarily know him or her. I haven't gotten to them through a source. But what they're saying is interesting and relevant to me, um, so if you have a base that, you know, is searchable and people know where they can find you, um, that could get you in front of a reporter who maybe you don't know who's writing on a topic that's relevant to you, so don't be afraid to, to socially engage and once again, if you're working with um, the communications team at your company and a reporter writes an article and you, you really just like it, it's okay to reach out and say, like, hey, I loved your article. It was so relevant. The points you made on X, Y, and Z were, were so important for people in our industry. You know, really enjoyed the article. Keep up the good work. Okay. And that's a way when you're reaching out to people when you're not necessarily looking for something from them. Um, that's also kind of endearing. Like you're following me as a reporter. You're not just constantly, you know, trying to see how you can work your way into what I'm doing. You're actually following me because you
1: like my work. Okay. On this uh, social side, I like that idea. I'm going to use that. I'm going to steal that one. That sounds like a great one. On the social engagement side, how important is it for whatever I've posted to be recent? So, you know, the YouTube video is three years old. Do I need to keep it up date? Or the LinkedIn blog that I post or the comment, it's been three months since I've added anything. Is that up-to-date stuff necessary? I mean, is that essential?
2: I would, I would think so. I mean, if you have one um, that's a particular favorite where you really just hit it out of the park, keep it up there if it makes you happy. But constantly adding or updating because news changes so if you show that you have some flexibility, um, that this truly is your area of expertise because you can approach it for different angles, um, that's all very important in keeping yourself relevant, too. Um, you know, the example we used before in, in um, security. Security has changed how much, you know, it's going to change more in the next five years than it has in the previous 50 years. So showing somebody that you're on top of the trends and, and you're aware of the trends, um, that's going to be very important to your brand.
1: Okay. Excellent. Um, and how often is enough? I mean, is this once a week? Is this once a month? Is this once a quarter to add or update?
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I think if you're following the news cycle, you'll know when different things come up. So, um, when you have something that seems really good, I mean, I, I, uh, if it's a hot topic, I would I would try to get out there as, as much as possible. Maybe it's once a week. If um, things aren't changing as quickly, maybe once a month, but maybe it's twice a month if you have two really good, um, you know, a great YouTube video and a great um, Insta that you just want to put up there. So follow your work, follow the news cycle, know what's going on. But, you know, I, I would say once a month might be a, might be a good minimum.
1: Okay. All right. That's helpful to know. You know, this is the, I rate, it's very useful to know how often I need to be doing this. Everybody says keep it relevantly, but how much? All right. So you say also I should partner. What do you mean? Who do I
2: partner with and why? Well, partnering is a way to take your story, once again, the story or the narrative that you've developed and keep it relevant by, by mixing it up a little bit. So let's say, for example, um, when you first started speaking with reporters on those first interviews, you were talking about um, a new product that your company was launching and you were the the product manager that that helped bring it to market. Um, It's good to go back to them in a couple you know, in a 3 months time, um, and say, hey, look, we have a couple customers on board. You covered this product. You covered how it's going to change the industry and make something so much easier. Um, take a process that took three days and, and bring it down to three minutes. Now I have some customers that are actually using it, and they can tell you the different things that it's doing for them. Why don't I arrange for you to talk to some of these customers? Um Another way to do something similar is if you have a friend or a colleague or if you know someone in your industry and you have different perspectives on the same topic, um, maybe it's something where you two sort of join forces um, and do a debate with the thought being that you have one set of beliefs, the other person has another set of beliefs. Isn't that an interesting conversation when the two of you can meet and talk about your differences and opinions, you're not going to change the other person's mind. The other person isn't going to change your mind, but what you're doing is kind of giving your audience a 360 view of a, partic- of a particular topic. So I'm going to make a historical reference here, but it's fairly well documented that you know, um, John Adams and Thomas Jefferson, other than agreeing that we needed to get rid of a monarchy, did not agree on a bunch of things. Um, so how interesting would it be to hear John Adams speak? How interesting would it be to hear Thomas Jefferson speak? How interesting would it be to hear the two of them debate one another on why a strong federal government is important or why government should be, should be left up to the masses? I mean, that kind of conversation, you're still delivering your same message, but you're showing that you're not um, afraid of people who have varying opinions. What I would suggest, though, is just make, make sure that that person is comparable to you in, um, you know, even you have a respectful relationship and that person is of a comparable um, career stature to you because okay. you don't want to seem to be bullying a younger person or, um, so if that person that you're talking to or that you're you're debating with is a comparable stature, is a comparable reputation, the two of you can have a knowledgeable discussion, you can even have a little fun with each other, knowing that you're not going to agree on, on certain topics and that neither one of you is wrong.
1: Right, right. So that respect thing sounds to me like a really important component, and that acknowledging that we differ on this one, but we don't actually hate each other.
2: Right, right. There's, there's room for us to have different opinions and to still respect each other's views.
1: Okay. All right. So that's partner. So partner with customers, partner with frenemies in some ways. Are there other people we need to be thinking about? Does that cover the gambit?
2: No. I mean, there's, there's always someone, someone different you can be having a conversation with. Um, maybe you do want to pull together, um, you mentioned before, Wanda, a panel. When you're on a panel, you do try to bring together people who are approaching a topic um, from the perspective of um, – I'm going to use a, an example from um, the retail industry. You know, Maybe you do want somebody there who represents um, a merchant. Maybe you do want somebody there who represents a bank. Um, and maybe you do want somebody there who's um, an industry insider who can talk about retail trends in general. So that's a well-rounded conversation because you have somebody who's you know, influenced by uh, being able to sell products. You have somebody there who's interested in approaching a topic from extending credit or um, encouraging consumers to buy. And you have a neutral third party there who's talking about just trends across the industry and what they're seeing. That's an interesting conversation. Okay. So
1: you're looking for ways to bring to the reporter not just my view, but my view in the context of some other interesting views that makes for an interesting conversation.
2: I think that's I I think that's one of the best ways to to get your story out there is you're confident in your story so you're not afraid to bring other people into the conversation.
1: Okay. All right, great, fabulous. All right, now you also say speak up at conferences. Tell us how that goes and why that's important.
2: Um, just getting your voice out there, reporters go to conferences and trade shows. Um, their parents, they go to local town hall meetings, they go to to school board meetings. Um, so, if you're somebody out there speaking in your community, speaking in your um, in your industry, uh, you know once again, it just makes it easier for people to find you. Um, so, for example, with most trade shows and conferences, Probably about six months before the trade show, they'll do something called a call for papers and they'll Mm -hmm. ask for ideas. And you can write up an abstract, you know, 100 words, 200 words, this is what I'd like to talk to, here are the people that will be on stage with me, and you work with your communications team and you submit that idea. And the conference might say, hey, we love it, we want you to come, we want you to speak. Um, If it comes across as an advertisement for your company or if it comes across you're trying to sell a product, uh, you're less likely to get selected. But if you do those things that we talked about before where you're bringing in something that's relevant to a large audience because you're approaching a topic from multiple points of view, that's something that most conferences and trade shows would, would welcome.
1: That's right. All the conferences uh, that I have ever been a part of really love it when you bring those multiple points of view, and it's an interesting conversation in the session. It's not just you, but it's a great way to kind of showcase a perspective on your story. All right. Is there anything else we need to do to build relevancy?
2: Um, just keep yourself out there. I mean, to the point where um, you're fresh, you're offering new insights, um, you're um you're not afraid to, to voice an opinion, but uh, you know, just make sure what you're doing is, is relevant. Um and you're not doing it so much that nobody can keep up with with, <laughs> with everything that right. you're doing. You know, stay true to your brand. You're the expert. Um, you know, use your insights, work with professionals who can give you good advice. All of those things are gonna serve you and your brand and your company's brand very well. Okay.
1: Okay. All right. Fabulous. All right. So just to read, I want to see if I can capture all of the, this advice, because there's been a lot in this point about how to keep yourself relevant to the press. So we talked about the four different kinds of media, the paid media, the earned media, the shared media, and the owned media. Uh, to me, it almost sounds like that's a checklist to make sure I have thought about all the particular ways that I can go about making sure whatever story I have gotten out now gets amplified. And then we talked about ways to stay in touch with reporters so that they want to call you. And one of those is about knowing the current news and being prepared to talk about it. And the second is about knowing your area of expertise and when you're willing to branch outside that area of expertise to stay relevant to a current topic and what's a bit too far. Also having ideas of who you can reference for people in related areas that you don't want to speak about. And then we talked about to have a social media so that you're constantly putting stuff out about your core message so that you're findable and a reporter can get a sense of what you are prepared to say. And then we talked about ways to partner with customers, with people on other panels to have an interesting, different perspective of conversation and to have a pro and con debate with somebody who has a different point of view. And then the last one is just speaking up. In big ways at conferences and industry events and at small ways in the local community because, you know, as you said, reporters are parents. They're at various small events, too, when you have an opinion. Did I capture all of that?
2: You did brilliantly, Wanda.
1: Okay. All right. you got one minute. So, suppose... I want to try to get an interview with a reporter and I haven't landed that story, what do I need to do? It sounds like a lot of what we just talked about is prep work that I would do to make me relevant. Is there anything else?
2: Um, I think it's it's relevant to, well, yes, all of the prep work is going to make you relevant. It's going to help you understand what's going on. If you're following that reporter um, in social channels or you're following that reporter by reading what he or she writes, you're going to know what they write about and the approach that they want to take. And then um, I don't think it ever hurts to use just a little bit of humor. You know, you've never heard of me, but I would like you to. So here's what I'm proposing to you. And it's okay, okay. to go to them with like a story idea and showing that you're warm, showing that you're available, um, but showing that you have a, an opinion that's something that they would respect, that their audience would, would want to know about. I think that's how you, um, you drop people to you, especially reporters.
1: Okay. All right. Fabulous. Beth, we're out of time, but it's been great to have you on the show. Again, Beth Kitch- Kitchener is my guest, communications professional with deep experience and superpowers in corporate communication, executive media training, branding, and crisis communication. Beth, great show. Wonderful advice. Um, and an important point about how do I use the social media, the reporters, and all of that stuff to get my brand, my message out there and stay relevant. Thank you. Thank you, Wanda. And join us next week for yet another episode on getting out of your comfort zone.
0: Thank you for joining us for out of the comfort zone. Tune in again for another edition with Dr. Wanda Wallace next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific time and 2 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America business channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.